Welcome to the Mini Break Podcast, your daily roundup of the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, April 18th, and I am your host, Max Rothman. And before we get any further, as you just heard me sniffle, uh, it's, you know, allergy season and it is kicking me in the ass. So I just wanted to apologize before, you know, we go any further. If you hear any sniffles, any coughs, uh, any just nasally sounds from me, uh, my, my apologies. And I also wanted to throw a quick reminder to everyone that the CR Gear giveaway is still going on for the rest of this week and for the rest of next week. Uh, So all you got to do, give us a five-star review. Uh, We will not accept four-star reviews because that is for peasants. Uh, Five-star reviews only. Give us a a review with your Instagram handle, your Twitter handle, uh, your email. No addresses because that is really creepy. I can't believe Gruskin even suggested that. That is terrible. Uh, But speaking of Gruskin, I do need to bring on my co-host for today. So I am bringing on my doubles partner, partner in crime, and the only man willing to stay up till 12.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to talk tennis with me, Alexander Scott Gruskin. Welcome to the Mini Break Podcast. Always a pleasure to join you, Maxie. I recorded a killer interview earlier today for the Cracked Interviews Podcast, which I think we'll be releasing next week. It was someone who's near and dear to my upbringing. My coach played on his college team. That's the only tease I'm going to give. But I've been riding that tennis high ever since, and Monte Carlo has produced some juicy results. The fact that Zverev FAA isn't my favorite next-gen match of the tournament thus far speaks to how fun it's been. I mean, George Munar was everything I needed. So the point being, I have takes to give. Happy to join you. Well, I'm excited to hear takes. And uh, before we do that, I do want to plug the rest of the the podcast that we've got going on. As Alex said, uh, you know he did a great interview today, and you should be on the lookout for that uh, coming up. He also did uh, a great two part podcast on the Great Shot Podcast with Ben Rothenberg. Uh, so I think part two is coming out either later this week or early next week. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, but in general, we've got a lot of content out to you guys. So uh, definitely make sure to check out all the different podcast platforms that we've got. You know, Jamie yelled at me earlier this week because I was plugging it and I wasn't trying to be, you know, a a self-promoter. It's not because I'm on these podcasts, but we've been doing a ton of cool things at Crack Rack. It's the What the Deuce podcast, which doesn't feature you or I, and that's probably a good thing. You know, Christian <laughs> Harris has been killing it with the gas. He had Kennedy Schaefer, David Rodidi, Petros Frisokos, all of our Crack Rackets favorites. So shout out to them. Go check out that podcast if you haven't been listening, because it's really a different flavor than this. You know, I, I feel like I'm repetitive at this point. You know what you're getting from me on a podcast, but they're they're doing something really fun over there. So definitely go give that a shout. And I I meant to say this earlier, you asked me how I was doing, and I know I've been using this a lot, but it's just my favorite quote so far. West off, can I get a not too bad? Not too bad. (laughs) Yeah, that's perfect. That is one of my favorite clips. And I actually, I was in the car uh, with my parents recently, and and they asked me something, and I gave them not too bad, and they were so confused, (laughs) and uh, I loved every second of it. Not too bad. I think my parents get... You know, they think it's weirder when I don't give them a weird response like that. They're like, "What? You're speaking normally today?" <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's it's gotten that far, hasn't it? Uh, well, let let's get into the tennis because there's some great tennis to talk about. Uh, I, I do think that there's you know a match that we should start with, uh, and and that's going to be the Pierre Herbert. Uh, against Nishikori match, and this is a match that Air Bear won seven five six four. Uh, and I do want to give a little precursor because I, I after watching this, uh, I was thinking that I thought Nishikori looked a little off, uh, and I did see that 
there there were some notes that he actually was feeling a little ill, uh, did not practice uh, the Sunday or Monday before this match, and also had to cut his practice short uh, on Tuesday before this match. So uh, just a little precursor to anyone who, you know, maybe watched this and, and doesn't agree with what we're saying. Uh, but I think overall, Air Bear outplayed him. Nishikori didn't look great to me. Uh, but before I give more of my takes, I can see you kind of wincing in, in the background. What, what are you thinking over there? It's not that Nishikori played poorly. I think Air Bear did play well. Or it's not that Air Bear really outplayed Nishikori. Nishikori had so many chances. There's a game that comes to mind in particular. I think Air Bear serving 3-4, and there were no breaks of serve in that first set until that 5-0 when Air Bear got the break. But you look at the stat, Nishikori 0 of 10 on break points versus yeah. Air Bear's 2 of 3. It's a testament to Air Bear, who seems to be very comfortable moving on the clay. You know, Despite not being a full-time singles player, that's not not an issue. He's just so decisive with his shot selections. He's never going to give you, you know, more than three balls in a row on the same side. He's trying to change directions, open up a crack for the uh, on the court for himself so he can move forward, hit a volley, which is obviously what he does best. I mean, in that game, he's down love 40. He hit about two or three just pulling the trigger down the line balls that happened to go in. And so, like you mentioned, Air Bear is playing well, but Nishikori had his chances. Air Bear was just he was too good today. I agree, and, and unfortunately, we don't have unforced error counts uh, as far as the statistics go. But I, I will say, I, I think that that stat would be pretty high on the Nishikori side. I, I do think that there were a lot of times where he had chances, like you said, where it was we're missing balls that I, I don't think we normally see from him. Um, <laughs> this is a funny thing I was just thinking about watching this match, and I guess I've thought about it before when watching Eric Bear. I feel like that dude's back is going to break every single time he serves the ball. It's <laughs> He ridiculous. looks like a French Air Doesn't he look like a French Eric Ruskin? <laughs> <laughs> I wish we could put pictures up with podcasts because that that is perfect. People don't care, but Eric's my older brother, and I'm telling you, they look very similar. Uh, I just, I get what you're saying. It's a very, uh, not reflexy, but it's very, like, quick twist. It's very twisty, very quick trigger. There's a lot of, I don't know, uh, just it's so quick. That's the word I keep coming to. And the way he pulls the trigger, particularly on the backhand down the line, I mean, he snaps his body to really turn into the ball. The forehand's a little risky. Like I mentioned, he doesn't want to get into cross-court rallies because he won't have success there. But the thing that really stuck out to me, and I mentioned it, his movement on the clay for someone who's not a full-time singles player, he was sliding comfortably into forehands, into backhands, recovering well, and just the way he pulled the trigger, it was hard for Nishikori to move around the court and track everything down. And as you said, you know, not a full-time singles player. His volleys looked great, as always, moved in well, moved in at the right times. I also just, I love the clay because the drop shots were galore. I mean, in all these matches, and and it's so fun to watch you guys, these guys track him down. And, you know, Air Bear had a nice feel out there, too. He hit a couple backhand drop shots cross court that were just like, are you kidding me? When, uh, when yeah, Nishikori isn't getting to them, that yeah. says something. And then just last thing on this match, and we can move on. From the Nishikori side, 71% of his first serves go in, 67% of win percentage on the first serve, 60% on the second. Like I mentioned, he had all these breakpoint chances. Air Bear just 81% conversion rate on his first serve points, 58% on the second serve. He came up with the big uh, shots in the biggest moments, and sometimes when the margins are that thin, you know, it's a two-break match, uh, That that's what'll do it. 
I hear you, and, and I, I want to bring up just two more things before we move on. Like I was saying with the serve, his serve has that weird kink with his back, and I feel like it's going to break, but I do think it helps disguise his serve. Uh, I think it's I'm really so hard. I'm so happy you said that. Yeah, I think I it's really hard to read. Uh, and if you look at the slice stats, down the T, hit the slice down the T on the ad. I'd never see it coming when he does that. Serve, yeah. like Nishikori will be sitting out waiting for the kick, and then he'll just sneak one up the end. He sneaks the slice out wide on the deuce, and it's kind of a similar motion. It's a good serve. It is. It is. And you know, even though he served fifty eight percent, he was winning eighty one percent of those first serve points, uh, and it was very visible you, when you saw him make it in. He was winning those points. Uh, you know, the only other thing I want to point out, you know, it's been a up and down year for Air Bear, and and we'll we'll get into the next round match for him uh, a little bit later. But you know, been up and down. You know, he he loses uh, in two sec two second round matches. Uh, the last two tournaments he's played, and, and he you know before that three first round losses uh, in Rotterdam, Indian Wells, and Miami. So let's hope the clay uh, is a little bit nicer to him. But as you said, let's move on. Uh, I think another match that we got to break down a little bit, the FAA Alexander Zverev match. And this is a match that Zverev wins 6-1, 6-4. Look, I just got back into tennis betting. And well, I don't, I don't even think I can say got back into it. I'm getting into tennis betting. Uh, and we will break down some of the, the lines later in this pod. This is one of the first matches I bet on. I bet on the over. Of 22 games, expecting a three-set thriller, and Zverev just blew him off the court. So people shouldn't get mad at you that you started betting because unlike some gamblers, you're never going to yell at the players or curse them out or call them terrible slurs because they lost. You know, you are doing it reasonably. You're doing it in a fun way, not in a harmful way. So we should preface all of this betting talk and all of this is in a fun way, not a harmful way. Um that being said, the only reason you didn't start with this match first is because he lost that bet. I'm 100% sure. You're not wrong by any means. I was I was definitely <laughs> because this embarrassed. this is the headline match of the day. It is. It is. And you talk about from the tennis point, I think FA just – he came out too shaky. There are too many unforced errors. I wish we had the count. We don't. You look at his serve percentages though, You know, only making 49% of his first serves, winning only 46% of his first serve points, 37% of his second serve points. The serve is what he uses to set up his powerful ground strokes. And as good of an athlete as he is, he he's not – uh, you know, proficient at defense yet. That's not what he wants to be doing. Now, to Zverev's credit, he played returns that put FAA in defensive positions, but FAA just really wasn't able to dictate it all through the first set, and Zverev was just, again, his ground strokes on the clay. You think it's hard to handle it on a hard court surface. Imagine being misfooted, and then Alex Zverev fires another backhand down the line that you don't see coming. Good luck tracking that ball down. I don't care who you are. So it was great to see him have success in, in terms of the Zverev side. Then second set, you know, FAA started looking for the inside-out forehands, looked to start dictating more. I think the Zverev forehand started falling a little bit shorter in the court that allowed FAA to step up on a few more balls. Zverev also dropped six feet behind the baseline and started playing a little bit of defense, which it's always nice to see him be able to do that given how freaking tall he is. It's just... The skills he has are incredible, but 
Yeah, FAL, you know, Zirov didn't serve particularly well in the second set either, and when he started throwing some second serves, he only converted 47% of his second serve points. I'm sorry for this rant. I just was really amped up for this. What it showed me is as great as FAA's ceiling is, his floor is not, you know, anywhere near the level of an Alex Zverev, nor should we expect it to be given their age and experience discrepancies, but this match was a keen reminder of that. I mean, you were the one to post in our Slack saying, who's getting up at 6.30 Eastern to watch this match with me? <laughs> and I stupidly said, I'm going to wake up at 3.30 uh, Pacific Standard Time, and that obviously did not happen. Uh, Aren't but, you happy yeah, you didn't? I, I am, because this is not worth watching. The The highlights were plenty. Um, but, you know, as you said, I think he just looked a little shaky. Uh, unlike Air Bear, his volleys looked off. A lot of unforced errors on the volleys was not able to close. And I, and I actually don't always feel like that's the case with uh, FAI. I usually do feel like he's pretty comfortable at the net uh, and puts away volleys. So I think, you know, he, he lost confidence there in the first set. And it, and it didn't really pick up, like you said, until the second Um I, I want to ask. It was up a break in the second, and then I think it was three one thirty all. He had a, he slid into a forehand volley after Zverev hit a slice, and he just cooked it a little bit long. Right. I agree with you. He just a few too many unforced errors at the net, and then he started leaving volleys a little bit short. Zverev being as good of a mover as he has tracked them down. When he can hit that first volley decisively, look out! But it's not quite there yet. Agreed, and so. The thing that I, I did want to bring up and a question I have for you. So you, you mentioned the Alexander Zverev backhand. It is elite. No question. I actually think his cross-court backhand on the clay is more dangerous than his down the line because when that thing gets spin, when that thing gets the angle that he goes for, I mean, it just pulls you so far off the court. My question, and you know, granted, it's very different based on the player and, and how they move and everything, but... Do you take his backhand over Djokovic on any given day? So I'm not answering that question, but I'm going to follow this line of thinking. The reason I wanted to How are you not going to answer? No, answer my freaking question. Just wait, I'll get there. No, so no. Chorich against Munar, the way he set up points so beautifully to attack Munar, Chorich would go backhand cross court, backhand cross court, backhand cross court, and driving all of these balls deeper and with more angle each time. And then the second Munar left a backhand a little bit shorter, the way Chorich stepped up and hit backhands down the line was in the elite fashion that only a Novak Djokovic can do. Another guy in uh, actually, I'll save that other guy for when we transition. You talk about it with Alex Zverev. Yes, as I mentioned, on a clay surface, the way he's able to change directions with that ball, change flight trajectories, change spin levels, it's elite. And you just I can't imagine having to track that down because he is able to open up the court for himself so well. FAA hits some huge forehands in the way. I just don't get how Alex Zverev on clay, not setting his feet, can turn into some backhands while falling backwards and generate the power and depth that he does. It's special. Now, Novak Djokovic has it at his best, you could argue. Him and Murray have the best backhands of all time, and you had know I had to slide <laughs> there. So, no, Alex Zverev isn't at that level yet, and that's obviously why he hasn't, you know, he doesn't have that level of consistency, and that's why he doesn't have that level of results as those other guys. But you see it. You see flashes of it more and more. That's why I love him so much. 
Okay, so I, I hate that you didn't answer my question. That's like one of my biggest No, I pet- did. No, no. Djokovic, of course. Okay, Djokovic, jo- there's a reason. You give Djokovic that level of respect. Okay. So that's fair. The reason I asked that question is because I would make the hot take and, and Westoff oh. give me a sizzle because I seriously think I would take Zverev's backhand on any given day. Now, hear me out. I love Djokovic's backhand, and I think, like I said, it, it's so much dependent on the player and how they move because Djokovic's backhand, for the way that he moves, the way he's able to slide into it, be defensive, get, get himself back into points with it, is uncharacteristic of any other player on tour now i'm a fan of someone who can drive through the court and there is nobody who drives through their backhand like zverev does it it seriously penetrates the court like no other player i really see on tour I, i i'm seriously scared every single time that guy tees up for a backhand even his grunt is so seductive. You're just like, that man just turned into a backhand. You can hear it in the way he groans. It's I'm being serious. It's unbelievable. Like I said, he can fall back and still hit a ball deep corner cross court. It. I just physically, I don't know how he can do it. And that's why everyone is so high on this guy because we've never seen anything like it at his size, the physicality, the touch, the pace, all of the above. But no, like, no, Novak Djokovic has won 14, 15 Grand Slams. There's a reason. Like, of course you take him. All right. I mean, I sure. I can't really argue 15 Grand Slams. So I... Dude, I did I, you watch the Australian Open? Yes. We, <laughs> yeah, I yes, rest my case. I, I watched the Australian Open. I also watched the U.S. Open, and I also watched Wimbledon, <laughs> and I've seen him win all of them. So yeah, exactly. um, I, I think we'll end that that debate and that conversation there. Well, let's move on to one other match that we want to break down. Unless Wait, can I, I transition see... this? Cause, no. Because just, I'm so sorry. And I know it's your episode, but another next gen player with the ability, I think on clay in particular, the way he can misfoot you by changing directions with his backhand. And you have to be so aware of the fact that he can drive the ball so well cross court and down the line. Taylor Fritz, who used this strategy so successfully in his 6-4-6-2 win over Diego Schwartzman to get himself into the third round at Monte Carlo. I mean, just the way on clay, even though, you know, we don't think of Taylor for his movement, the way he can misfoot his opponent, the way he's able to produce uh, with his firepower on the clay, it's a special trait. Are you just giving me the silent treatment? I'm going to retransition us because fuck you. Um, <laughs> yeah, so there was a great match with Taylor Fritz and Diego Schwartzman. Um, this was a match that Taylor Fritz wins 6-4, 6-2 in an hour and 26 minutes. Uh, you know, something that a next-gen player does, you know, really well uh, that I, I heard someone mention recently and, and can really miss foot <laughs> – people uh taylor fritz really you know able to with his forehand change direction uh we saw him do it against sanga we now see him do it against diego schwartzman um this is my episode um (laughs) this was a this was a really positive sign for fritz uh you know they're tennis.com you know or excuse me tennis channel i had a little tweet you know who predicted fritz beating schwartzman on clay and and you can – I wish, again, that we could put pictures because I had a text to our producer, Daniel Westoff, saying, I really want to put money on Fritz taking down Schwartzman plus 450 yesterday. Uh, and it would have been a nice uh, a nice little 
bet I made there, but unfortunately I didn't. Uh, you know, really good to see and, and interesting. He only served 50%, only wins 64% of his first serves. He only wins 44% of his second serves. I think that just shows that this was a case of him playing really well off the ground. Alex, please give your take. Something <laughs> so about mis- imp- something about misfooting or something. No, that was that was direct uh, approval. So I I feel comfortable speaking again, and I apologize for disrespecting you on this Thursday. Yeah, you your episode. Apologize. Uh, <laughs> West off. Give me some sort of sorry sound effect, please. Sorry, bro. Um, look, the the number that sticks out to me, you talk about the Fritz thing, and I want to get back to that serving percentage, but for Diego Schwartzman, he goes 8 of 24 on second serve points, winning only 33% of those. He only won 51% of his first serve points as well, 23 of 45. I mean, Fritz was the one taking control, and look, Diego Schwartzman was able to track down so much against Kyle Edmund. You wonder uh, how he was feeling physically today, although I'm sure these guys are fine. They're all freaking top 30 professionals at their sport. Board. But for Taylor Fritz, he was able to take control of points early and often. And, you know, he mentioned in his post-match interview, yeah, if I want to be Djokovic, I have to serve better tomorrow. But the things I was doing from the baseline, dictating from ball one, you know, I think Fritz kind of plays balls down the line, knowing that uh, the opponent will want to hit the ball cross-court. And now Taylor knows, okay, I can definitely predict and move cross-court because that's the obvious play. It's sort of setting himself up to cover up his movement limitations. But, I mean, the guy's firepower on clay... I just I, maybe I'm just in a clay you know phase right now because I haven't seen the surface in a while. But these guys are just not used to that. It's so hard to start and stop, and it's an element that makes Fritz's game really uh, ca- capable of success on the surface. Yeah, the the thing that I love about Fritz is, I mean, first of all, his his strength is his forehand, and everyone knows it. Uh, but the thing that I love is his ability to hit that short forehand spinner. Uh, and I think that that is something that is super effective on the clay, as we've said, similar to what I was talking about with Zverev, when he's able to roll that backhand short cross court, same thing. Fritz is really good at rolling that forehand cross court and it pulls people off the court. And for him too, who, you know, someone who doesn't necessarily move the best, uh, just in general, regardless of it being clay, uh, I think it's super helpful. Uh, and I think that we saw that in this match, you know, like I said, did not serve fantastic and was still able to come out over, you know, Schwartzman, a guy who's a grinder. He's also able to open up so much court for himself the way he fires kicks out wide on the ad, fires slices out wide on the deuce. It sets himself uh, up so well because he is able to misfit his opponent, hit in either direction uh, with either ground stroke. The other thing I thought he did really well against Schwartzman, I thought Herbert did this well against Nishikori. They were both so decisive with their returns. They weren't just trying to get them back in play. They were trying to take control of the point, and that's going to be harder to do against Novak Djokovic, but being decisive being in control it's a great trait to see from Taylor on a surface that we maybe didn't expect him to do this well on because you don't see him as a great mover but obviously he said this in his press conference he thinks it could be his best surface yeah I think it's a a little bit of a stretch and you know maybe (laughs) if he uh he takes the dub over Djokovic he might be able to convince me of that uh the only thing I want to bring up before we we move on, you know, 17 breakpoint opportunities against Schwartzman. He only converts, well, I mean, only is probably uh, not the right way to put it, but he converts six of those 17. I think if he's going to be successful against Djokovic, has to be aggressive 
on the returns. Uh, and maybe that's a, a good place to transition here into, uh, well, but actually before, excuse me, before we do that, I want to just talk about a few of the other matches, just mention them briefly uh, from today. So we, we talked about the Zverev FAA. We talked about the Arab Bear Nishikor, and we just talked about the Fritz. Some of the other matches, Medvedev absolutely routed Albot one and two. Uh, Fonini, Great to see him have success on clay. Absolutely. Uh, Fonini got a withdrawal over Simone. Uh, Cam Norrie, who is potentially soon going to be the top-ranked British player in the world, got the win over Fuksovic, 6-3. and three. Dimitrov, I love Cam Norrie. We talked about him early in the week. You've loved him forever. He, no, but a uh, college player, you know, I have a space in my heart. But we talked about how he didn't look comfortable moving in Houston. He looks so much better on this clay. Uh, I couldn't agree more. Uh, a few of the other matches real quick. Dimitrov takes down Struff 6-4. and four. I think that's a good win considering Struff has been playing some really good tennis. Uh, Dusan Lajevic gets a nice win over Gofen 3-4. and four. Uh, And then Nadal. The geez. Deuce. <laughs> Deuce on the Deuce, yeah. Uh, and then Nadal absolutely routes uh, RBA 1-1. One and one. This was... Kind of hard to watch, you know, fellow Spaniards going up against each other. That was that was tough. He, he destroyed him. Uh, team takes down Klezon, one and four. And then Tsitsipas takes down Kukushkin, three and five. So those are your other winners for the day. But let's preview the third round because we've got some great third round matches ahead of us. I, I think the one that I want to start with, or, God, there's a lot of good Definitely. matches. Definitely. Medvedev Tsitsipas. Yeah, I know. Medvedev Tsitsipas. So, uh, while as we're previewing these next few matches, I'm also going to give you the Bovada stat line, uh, excuse me, betting lines for these, and we'll we'll briefly say what we would take. The first thing I'm going to say, Medvedev won his first two round first two round matches, one and one and one and two. He's he looks dominant. I think he's taking this match straight up. So you look at their career head-to-heads even before you get into Bavada. Medvedev 3-0 and all the time against Tsitsipas. These guys have a nice petty rivalry. I think Medvedev is blocked on Instagram by Tsitsipas. That always adds to the fun. I mean, these guys definitely get chippy in the match. Obviously, they had incidents before that we, we've litigated, so we don't have to get back into. You know, the, they've never played on clay before. This is their first time. I think Medvedev uh, doesn't create angles for himself as well on clay as Tsitsipas does. Tsitsipas' firepower trans translates across all surface. Medvedev hits a flatter backhand, doesn't penetrate the court as well, though as you mentioned, he's dominated so far, and I think that's a testament to him losing early, earlier in the uh earlier, you know, Miami, Indian Wells. He's got to be rested up at this point and hungry. He has the career head to head. He's totally fine playing balls into the Tsitsipas backhand, tracking down as much as he can. But Tsitsipas ah. What's the over-under in games? Hit me with the Bovada stats. So, so I was about to bring up the Bovada. The over-under is 23 games. They're essentially mm. forcing you to, to choose uh, a three-set match here. Or and, five and, and five? Yeah. The five and five. Mm. It, it's tight. Interesting. And, and, I, and you know, they're they're favoring uh, the, the over on this match, not giving you as good odds. But... Uh, they also have even on Medvedev and Tsitsipas' uh, minus 125. So it's tight. They they know this is going to be a tight match. But I think I'm still taking Medvedev. He's 3-0. to Bavada. Those odds are spot on. You know, sometimes they're horrible on their lines. And you're right. 
spot on. I'm just really upset I didn't I didn't convince you to do the Zverev FAA stay away because I knew that was going to be a Zverev big win. We talked about it last night, me, you, Wes. I know. You know. I, yeah. I, I told you I was you just it. doing it because I wanted a three-setter. I should I never know. bet because I, I want something. I should know better. This is a stay away for sure. I have no idea who's going to win this. I would take the over. First of all, shout out to Bavada. 22 and a half is brilliant. Uh, I'd probably say over, but I wouldn't bet on either winner because I, I think it's a three-set battle. I hear you. Well, well, let's let's move on to the Wait, next. Wait, real quick, though. I will pick, though. I'm down. You said Oh, yeah, yeah, that? please. Give me give me your pick. You're taking Tsitsipas. I'll take Tsitsipas. Yeah, I just I think it. on the clay, he can just do more things for himself. Yeah, I don't know, man. He... It's tough. Yeah, three and zero. I like those odds. Let's let's move on to the next match. The match that we were just talking about, Fritz Djokovic. Dude, the... <sighs> Djokovic did not look great against Cole Schreiber. Fritz just took out Sanga and Schwartzman. Look, I know. I think it's ridiculous to to say that Fritz is going to win this match. Fritz is. <laughs> He's plus 750 on Nevada. <laughs> they have uh, Djokovic minus 1,600. The over-under is 20 games. Mm, so it's, four and four. Dude, if Fritz plays Four and four would be sick, really good from Fritz. If Fritz plays a sick set, he hits some big serves, some big forehands. He could pull but here's out a the set. Problem. He served. He made fifty percent of his I, first I serves against Schwartzman, and so that's, that's not going to cut it. Right? Is he has to? He played this well, and he didn't serve well. So technically, that would bode well for him being able. You know, he's not going to serve that poorly again. You would think that Taylor Fritz is a guy. You know, I think he's top sixteen when I looked in terms of protecting his serve at the Infosys ATP stats. Ah. Uh, but th- so if this was three out of five, you'd be like, well, what happens when Djokovic makes this match physical? And it's like, well, yeah, you're right. Of course. That's when he then, would take it. But yeah. it's two out of three. If he can – but do you really think he can hold serve for more than five games in a row in two straight sets against Novak Djokovic? Not, because that's the bet you're making. Yeah, I, I doubt it. That would be to hit the over. You'd have to do it five times each set. I th- the thing is, I think he can do it – in one set and get a break. And and as long as he takes one set, three sets, and you're good. Well, what are you going to do to open up the corner yourself? You're going to hit backhands down the line on Novak Djokovic, who thinks he invented the backhand down the line? Like, <laughs> you're going to Yankee Djokovic around the court? I guess Djokovic can have serving problems of his own, and if Taylor's able to dictate off that first return ball, I mean, dictate against Novak Djokovic is an oxymoron. But, like, yeah, it's... Uh, stay away. Too emotional. Never bet it, your heart. It, it is a stay away. I mean, plus 750 is enticing, but I wouldn't do it. Uh, let, let's move on to another match that has crazy odds. Dimitrov versus Nadal. I mean, look, Nadal is 416, has 416 wins, 36 losses. That's 92% of his career clay court matches that he's winning. I mean, that's just absurd. There's a reason that... <laughs> Nadal is minus 4,000 on this match. <laughs> Dimitrov plus 1,400. They have the over-under at 17 and a half. So they're they're expecting Nadal to just blow Dimitrov out of the water like he did to RBA. I don't know if that's going to happen. Uh, that, that was a pretty ridiculous dominant performance. I do see this as a straight set win, though, for Nadal. 
I did my impression of Nadal on GSP Part 1 with Rothenberg, but as we all know, on the clay, Nadal doesn't lose. Uh, he is 11-1 all-time against Grigor Dimitrov. Dimitrov's only win coming on a hard court. I mean, how many times have we seen Nadal just pick apart one-handed backhands on clay? To pick Grigor is a tough thing to do, but look, Grigor's finally strung a couple wins together. Physically, he's looked great so far. Rafa's Rafa. <laughs> like, I, I can't, you can't, I don't know, if you're if you're a parlay someone, throw Rafa in every parlay to try and get your odds a little bit better because that's the only chance you're going to win money with him. Yep, I, I hear you. Uh, I don't think we need to say much more. The only thing I, I What I'll if wanna... we did Rafa, wait, Rafa, Djokovic, Cam, Nori parlay, just straight all to win? I kind of like that. I'll, I'll, have to, I'll have to yeah. do that later and tell you what the payout is. Uh, but really quickly, one thing I, I forgot to mention Djokovic and Fritz have never played. I hate someone who's never played Djokovic. They they don't really know his game and how he plays and, and what it's like to be there on court with him. Makes me way less inclined to think Fritz is going to beat him. Counterpoint, Fritz is a tennis film junkie. If anyone has watched oh, Endless whatever. Hours of Novak Djokovic on YouTube... There's nothing like Fritz. being on the court with him. No, I I agree with you. I'm just saying if, if he knows what to expect at least. This is a guy who's very realistic, yes, very fine. well prepared. Fair enough. Uh, next match that I want to uh, preview: Air Bear is playing Chorich. Chorich career has one win, uh, and Air Bear has zero. This is going to be tight. Uh, I think Chorich. First of all, a little statistic here: Chorich has spent 381 minutes on court in the first two rounds, which is absurd uh, for two out of three set matches uh, between two matches. That's that is a lot of time on court. Air Bear is playing solid, a big win over Nishikori. I think we could potentially see Air Bear take out, you know, Chorich and, and get another upset. He's plus 170 over under his 23 games. I, I think we might potentially see another uh, upset from Air Bear. Different podcast, but hey, great shot to you. These guys played twice in Grand Slam or in qualifying back in the day. Uh, or Air Bear beat Chorich at Wimbledon. Oh, uh, you're going to count the qualifying and seven challenges six, six one. Sure. They also played in Japan on a hard court. Air Bear beat him in three sets. In 2013, one time they played yeah. on clay. But the one time they played on clay, Chorich beat him five and four. Physically, you're right. Chorich played such a tough uh, first two matches, but if you think about it, he had the day off yesterday. And these guys True. are so fit. That little bit of rest, it really could help. It really could matter. And so. I just don't want to write him off because the guy's, what, 22, 23 years old. You're going to write him off as tired. He's a top 10 professional. This is a guy who, if you can't handle this, you're never going to win a Grand Slam. But Air Bear's a guy who's going to take his chances. He has been playing well. I just think Chorch is a little bit better at defense than Nishikori, or at least at this particular time. I think he's going to put Air Bear in uncomfortable positions, not allow him to come to the net because he's going to cut balls off with his speed. I think he's just a little too much. I I don't. I, so you're taking Chorich. Yeah, sure. I'm always happy to be on the other side. All right, fair enough. Uh, let's let's breeze through these last couple matches. Uh, Chechenato plays Peya. You know, it's going to be a grind uh, for sure. Chechenato career wins uh, over Peya. He's he's two and zero. If you actually look at uh, ATP tournaments, not including qualifying and qualifying. 
Uh, Pea actually did get a win two and two in 2017 in Germany. Uh, it was indoor on clay, so you know ha- has gotten a dub over Chechenato. The line here, if you want to bet this match, uh, Pea is plus 135. The over under is 22 and a half. This is a stay away from me. Alex, any thoughts? Nope. Uh, the other matches for tomorrow. Uh, oh, did I just close out of my draw? I did. So the other matches for tomorrow, Cam Nori and Sinego. Nori is, wow, the underdog. He's plus 140. I think you're taking that one, huh? Throw him in that Djokovic Nadal, or Djokovic Nadal parlay right now. I'm right. totally – we'll, we'll talk off camera. Look, if We'll get West Cam off Nori, to put that bet in for us. If you're Cam Nori and you see I beat Manorino round one, Bachelors Vili goes down, so I get Fuksovics next, then Kachnov goes down and I get Sinego, he's about he you know, he has a real opportunity to make a Masters quarterfinal. So shout out to Cam Nori. He could become the number one ranked British player uh yep. pretty soon. Hey, great shot. I said that earlier and I, I agree. If he wins this match, I know. help him I'm get Echoing your point. It was closer. a great point. It was I a know, great I'm, point. I'm just giving you a hard time. Mockery's uh, the ultimate form of flattery. Exactly. Last match uh, for tomorrow, Dominic Team plays Deuce on the Deuce, Lajovic. Deuce on the Deuce is plus 375. Uh, team just looks great. I think there's no way he wins this match. As in, Deuce wrong. on is it's, not winning this match. I was wrong. He shouldn't be called the Deuce. It should be Deuce on the Deuce. That was, that, I like it way better. That was really <laughs> funny. Yeah, I'm on the home team. Give me Dominic. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, those are our matches for tomorrow. Some really good tennis to be played. The one last thing I want to ask and uh, just a little debate before we close off this episode. There has been more than one uh, controversial call so far in this tournament, and that is because we are not using Hawkeye uh, in Monte Carlo. This has been something that's been talked about before. Uh, I kind of just want to hear your thoughts, yay or nay, on not using it. On the clay. Yeah, that's a nice little rhyme. I'm always down for rhymes. I don't know enough about the topic to have a definitive opinion in terms of the technology and its accuracy on clay. But, like, if it's Tennis Channel be the is the same, using... come on. We, we see them. Is... Yeah, like you said, we see them use, like, the, the Hawkeye for us to see afterwards. No, either Tennis Channel is facilitating a massive fraud against the public by using those highlights when they're inaccurate, and that would be a huge issue and something we should talk about on another episode and maybe another five episodes. <coughs> or we're just wrong, and like the technology's a little off. They don't trust it. I trust them to make a better decision than I could. <coughs> oh, you're all right over there? No, yeah, I'm just, this is such a hot take. <laughs> the allergies got... Out. The allergies got you too. Look, my thoughts, I think if we have the technology to do it, it's stupid not to. It's the same thing in other sports. If we can review things and, you know, double check to see where the ball lands, whether a guy's foot is on the line, whether, you know, they cross that end zone, I think it's absolutely ridiculous to not use it. I also am the kind of guy to respect the tradition of sport. I love the idea of, you know, the all-white on Wimbledon and, uh, you know, using the line judges to, to go out and, and point at, you know, where the ball mark is. Oh. But but I also, like I said, we have the technology. It's stupid not to use it. This is why I don't invite you to the Rothenberg pods. You have too many old-fashioned thoughts, and that's a new wave of thinking type of yeah, podcast. Yeah. Well, with that, make sure you go check out the Rothenberg podcast and all of our other podcasts. 
Alex, anything else to say before we wrap this up? You know, tomorrow I think I'm taking over for the pod for you because you've got a busy work day. I'm going to try and have Mike Cation, the USDA play-by-play guy who is in Sarasota covering the USDA French Open Wildcard Challenge in person. Obviously, huge implications there. Bjorn Fertangelo, Tommy Paul, Noah Rubin, Marcos Giron, Sebastian Corda, Jensen Brooksby, Tennis Sandgren, all in play to get more points there in terms of Americans. In Mexico, Ernesto Escobedo has finally strung together a couple of wins. He's looking to get some points, put himself in contention for that wild card. You know, I actually, it's funny, I got the chance to watch Sebastian Corda upset number 14 seed James Ward today. For some reason, when I was watching him, I just thought this is the, and not personality-wise, but just game-wise, I saw shades of American Fabio Fognini. And I'm not saying the upside for him is that high. Just the way they can just smack winners at will. I was really impressed. So definitely, you know, if you you have time livestream.com backslash atp go give mike a listen and be on the lookout for our sarasota and french open wildcard challenge coverage because we've got a lot of fun stuff coming well i did make a promise to myself that i was going to try and keep this pod shorter and as you can tell tomorrow's episode with mike cation is not going to be a short one considering <laughs> the little spiel that alex just gave you no i'm doing uh, 15 on that 15 on monte carlo so, you guys thir- see. So, so 30 and 30 um but 50 minutes total that said let's wrap this up uh, as always, we got to give a special shout out to our super producers, Max Fleener and Daniel Westoff, who have a <laughs> of a job to do. And for my wonderful co-host, Alexander Scott Kreskin, for the entire team at Cracked Rackets, I am your host, Max Rothman. And Alex, what do we say? That's a break! <laughs> and we'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Chris, <laughs>